0: For twenty percent off your first system.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices.
2: We live. F1. Welcome to Miss Apex Podcast. I'm your host Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. I think we've seen all the launches now. We've seen all the pretty colours and all the renders and we're just days away from seeing cars on track together. And I have to say, the start of the season has completely sneaked up on me. Normally, there's a feeling of a, a dead space in the F1 content world, but it's just been non-stop revelations, gossip, heartbreak, and intrigue in the news cycle. Worst off-season ever in that we've not stopped. Not that Mr. Apex ever completely stops during the winter, and you might have noticed that this winter, I was trying to do something different I was trying to do set piece, interesting segments with the panel and, of course, the meet the panel segments. And I tried to make the content evergreen. So if you're just dipping back into Miss Apex after the winter break, there's loads of content if you want to go and catch up with it. Listen to our shows about the World Constructors Championship, F1 Broadcasting, the, the, the famous and very popular Corner Names podcast. That will also have a, a follow up because it has been much demanded. But go and check out some of that content. And I'm also going to do a supercut of all the meet the panel segments that we did. We have got one more meet the panel today. You'll be meeting Kyle Power. Uh, but the download numbers suggest that our content in the winter had some value. So I hope you enjoyed that. And for the first time ever, we've increased our Patreon subscribers count over the off season. So that's why we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, we might be wrong, but we're first. It's time to meet today's panel. It's Matt
1: Do to... Rumpets. Hello, Matthew. That's not an underbite side pod inlet. This is an underbite side.
2: You're thought, one yeah. of those people looking at all the pictures, drawing little diagrams off it going, oh, this is going to activate the Y37 vortex
1: over the inlet kwoojiboo. I can't believe you brought, up, you brought that up. That's a Mercedes loophole we're going to talk about later.
2: The front wing does look fairly interesting, to be fair. And we've got Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle?
3: Hey, seems like it's been an eternity since I've been on the four-wheeled version of Map.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I should have said. And here is Miss Apex MotoGP host, Kyle Power. And the MotoGP season, hasn't, has it started yet?
3: No, nope. it's in a couple of weeks. It's a, the same weekend as, uh, as Saudi. Ah, the there we go. So it's in about three, four weeks.
2: And you might have been caught out by this. Does it, is, does it clash with the Saturdayness of the F1 races? Because a lot of people haven't quite cottoned on that the first two races are on a Saturday. Yeah, that
3: caught me by surprise. So no, it will clash with the sprint race of the MotoGP, but the main MotoGP is a Sunday. So I still have a full weekend of racing, despite F1 only being on Saturday.
2: So go and uh, check out Missed Apex MotoGP. Go and search for that in your podcatcher of choice, and and don't get caught out by the races being on a Saturday. In the Missed Apex background, you might hear. Uh, I've basically got my daughter's birthday, so there's going to be lots of teenage girls running around. So, unavoidably, you are going to hear some of my daughter's birthday party on that first race review. Uh, we're also joined by Alex Genzy, Van Jean. Thank you, Alex.
4: Hello, how are we doing? We're about to
2: have people waking up from their winter slumber to
4: discover the mentalness that has happened with F1 over the last couple of weeks. And we
2: can unpack that for you today. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, if you had basically turned off after Abu Dhabi, and then you're just tuning back in now to go, hey, I wonder you know, if there's been any news over the winter. There's been quite some drastic news. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton being probably the biggest one that he's moving to Ferrari. And we've got a little bit of a follow-up on that today. Andretti getting rejected, kept everybody in the news headlines. And there's some other unsubstantiated things of very little detail that we are yet to address on this show. So this week, we're going to look at some of the biggest news doing the rounds. And we're going to end the show by meeting the panel. We're going to meet Kyle Power properly. Uh, But first, I would like to ask one question. Will F1 2024 be good? So I'm getting some shakes of the head. I'm going to be optimistic, right? So I think we're in the third season of a regulation set. All the team's engineers have had a chance to really look at what's working, what isn't working, rip off the bits they like or, or get inspiration from the bits they like. And also there's a cost cap. So the teams at the front should really not be able to you know, stretch their legs as massively as, say, Mercedes did back in the start of the turbo hybrid period. So things should be starting to converge. And if they, if they don't start to converge... That means there's either a real shortage of engineering talent out there in the F1 garages that they can't catch up within a cost cap and that seems unlikely to me or the regulations are too demanding for this cost cap set. So to me, Kyle, this should be on paper the culmination of people catching up in a regulation set and it should basically be 2012 all over again.
3: One would like to think so, wouldn't they? But actually... I actually think the cost, the cost cap is a bit of a victim of itself. It's supposed to be there to keep the sport competitive. And there was supposed to be an element of keeping the, the sport sustainable as well. But in recent times and FOM decisions, we know that they're not fussed about getting new teams in and their survival particularly. But the cost cap is actually quite prohibitive of people catching up now. So if you absolutely nail it, which Red Bull did. Now, under the cost cap, if you then make a mistake, like Mercedes made a mistake, they've had to change their chassis and their gearbox, they are massively behind. And it's really hard under the cost cap conditions to catch up. So I actually think the cost cap, whilst being a good thing for the sport overall, is actually prohibiting the convergence that you mentioned. And I actually think it might be a bit of a negative thing. It reminds me a little bit of the Q2 tyre rule that we used to have, which was supposed to help the teams in you know, the lower reaches of the top 10 when they got through to Q3. But actually, in reality... Actually hurt them and consign them, so I think we're getting a little bit of that now
2: well hang on my my sort of my pushback to that would be the cost cap is annually, right, so everyone had money to spend each year, and in theory, you should be able to just start from scratch each year, so you look across at Red Bull and you go, well, they've gone down that path, so for our next year's money, we'll go down that path as well, and we have the same amount of of money as Red Bull to come out with our twenty twenty four car so i don't I don't see why. You know, the best engineers in the world, three years in, with the same amount of money to spend, surely there's no excuse for not matching Red Bull's pace now.
1: Well, I'll start with the fact that they didn't all start out with the same infrastructure. Williams, for example, had an etching machine the size of your kitchen, when a modern one is the size of, like, say, a computer printer. So there's a vast divergence of previous investment that needs to be caught up and is difficult to do under the cost cap. But i think i I like Kyle's basic point because we had Allison talking about how rare it was under these regulations to switch out both uh chassis and and uh a, a new uh gearbox in the same season because of the cost. but the obvious solution here isn't to throw out the cost cap altogether, which is the first thing that's ever made all the teams turn a profit and given them lots of value, but instead to take inspiration from the c f d wind tunnel rules, which gives you a sliding scale based on where you finish in the championship that is recalculated once a season. So sure, give the back markers extra spend or, you know, restrict the front of the field a little bit until you find the balance point that lets you catch up more quickly.
2: Alex was shaking his head when I said, I said, will F1 2024 be good? And here we are, like we're cheerleading F1. That's what we've always been, cheerleaders. And Alex's first thing is, nope. It's that more case of where you talk
4: about, should the other teams have caught up? I'm pretty certain Red Bull had been working on this car a while before the cost cap had properly come into use. So they had got quite a head start on this car. Um, and therefore, because of the cost cap, it is difficult to catch up, I think is more of the point. Um, when you, I, I jokingly say no, it's not going to be good because it looks like if last year's form is anything to go by, Red Bull are going to dominate again. But Adrian Newey has been talking this card down quite a lot. Has he? In every single yeah, he's been saying they haven't pushed as hard as as he feels they should have done and blah blah blah. Maybe that's because he's off to Italy and he doesn't care anymore. Uh, let's um, get that rumour going. I love that rumour. Even though Adrian Newey actually doesn't have a huge amount to do with the actual final design of that car anymore, which everyone <laughs> lords him for, um, and I have that from an engineer inside Red Bull. He has nothing to do with the design of that car anymore. Um it's a it's a, it's an interesting fun story to give him the plaudits anyway.
2: I, I've heard that from a, a different person in Red Bull. I think I know who you've heard it from, but I've heard that from a different person in Red Bull that it's a little bit of a like a messiah story, and it's easier to go yes, well, Nui the the genius behind all these concepts, and and sort of you can almost take the the name Nui now as synonymous with the Red Bull technical team.
4: His thesis. That everyone goes back to his thesis that he did on on ground effect that was 30 years ago you know people understand uh uh, ground effects a lot more now than adrian would have done during his thesis when he was studying 30 years ago than is around now so you know it's they are happy for adrian to be as you say, the Messiah story, and for to be the one that the attention is focused on because then they can all just focus on it and get on with it in the background, and also it means it's harder to poach because you don't actually know who's behind certain <laughs> things yeah, the fair. thing is is the team they've got is a really young team of of engineers as well it's It's a really really young team it's not a bunch of old they're guys, not about to all
2: retire be- then are they.
4: Exactly. It's not a bunch of old guys twiddling moustaches going, oh, that's good.
2: So a lot of this will 2024 be good is will people catch up with Red Bull? So obviously bias is out on the table. If that was Hamilton and Mercedes out ahead, I'd be less bothered. But I'll pretend I'll do the Paul Resta for the good of the sport. I hope that it's it's a lot closer. So, yeah, we're talking about whether the teams can catch up. Now, Adrian New's specific thing was saying, were we bold enough with a new concept and they're talking about this being an evolution, Kyle. So, if here's the thing: if they go right, everyone's caught us up sufficiently that we need to now go with a bold new concept. That's the most exciting one because then that's a risk, and they could zero pod this situation. Absolutely,
3: I was just about to say something to that effect. Uh, we saw some of the spy shots that have come out, and it looks like they've gone, they've gone for their for the Mercedes style sort of gully duct things on their upper upper engine oh yes yeah on the top yeah cover. so yeah so so it looks like they have gone away and uh i'm sure matt will get into this a bit later but their um side pod inlets are quite different as well so fair play they could have just done a true evolution of the car looks almost exactly the same like Ferrari used to do back in the mid noughties they come out and go we've designed almost every part of part of his car and it looked almost identical <laughs> to the previous year's um the, the 2003 particularly but um it's fair play that they've that they've done this. And as you say, yes, it can be it can be risk, but also they didn't really do much to the previous car for the last half of the season. They had such an advantage. So they could actually turn turn their attention to this car and put quite a lot more resource into this car. So I still expect them to have an advantage. But like you say, if if they've been quite bold, which they have, and they didn't need to be, they really didn't need to go and change any of this concept. So fair play that they have. If they've got it slightly wrong, I think the pack might be closer to them, but I think everyone's expecting them still to be pretty mighty.
4: It strikes me as odd, to be honest, that Red, that Adrian, of all people, is talking about a drastic change when pretty much every single one of his cars throughout his entire career has been a cr- progression. You know, all his cars have, have had the same DNA from when he started making them back years ago. And he's always talked about just progressing the car, evolution, evolving, ev- evolution. For him to still sort of say we should be doing something more bold is out of character, I feel.
1: Yeah, bold like using last year's Mercedes design. Uh, I mean, I do sort of love this because, of course, this year's Mercedes looks kind of a lot like last year's Red Bull.
4: It really does.
1: So, so the, the, it's just kind of a fun <laughs> thing in general. But there's some important differences to last year's Mercedes as well. And we're really going to have to wait and see the cars on track. But as far as Nui goes, I wouldn't overlook the practical experience of having had to deal with the consequences of ground effect as being way more important than the actual thesis he wrote. And the thing that I've always heard about him, and I don't know how much of this is like just hagiography, is that he has a freakish ability to look at a part, a design part, and simply tell you what's wrong with it and be ridiculously correct.
2: That That sounds apocryphal, to be fair.
3: Um, I I can I can kind of back that up. Uh, I can't mention any names or from what team, but I sat quite lengthy with uh, and a designer in Formula One, quite high up, who who worked at some team at some point with Adrian Newey in Formula One when he was very successful. I love and He Carl's told me drinking that. stories. <laughs> and he and he told me this exact thing. He was like, the thing scary about Adrian Newey is you'll be sitting there trying to crunch some numbers and get the model to work, and he can come along and say hmm Tweak it like this and try that. Just have a look, and more often than not, it works. And he goes, he had this freakish ability to have a bit of a guesstimate, and it being pretty much right on the money. So yeah, he can all of this, all of this talk about he visualizes airflows. I think is largely nonsense, but he's got an incredible knack of picking out. You know, he will have a stab in the dark. I think just about there, and he gets the goldfish more often than not.
4: But I think that would have been more accurate when CFD wasn't quite as good or as prominent as it is now. And I think that's the problem Adrian has with regards to um, him not being so much in the design phase anymore. Is he never learned CAD. He never learned any of this stuff about using the computers. If he couldn't do it with a pen and a pencil, a pad and a pencil on his easel in his office, then it was really difficult for him because he didn't understand the computers.
2: So let's guess. We're, we're really torn here. We're torn between... Do we do anything else? No, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, all right. I was trying to do the illusion of, oh, we're experts, but let's let's take a departure from that and speculate wildly. No, we we always speculate wildly. <laughs> so we're torn here between thinking, is Red Bull coming out with something that is just an evolution and just a step, or, or have they come out with something radically different? The truth could be somewhere in between. But, you know, if they go too wildly different, it's a risk. But the two teams that have taken that risk, Matt, are Mercedes and Ferrari. So without doubt, Mercedes and Ferrari have have rolled the dice again, and that's the big sort of hope for a com- competition up front is that one of them will get it right. We've got two rolls of the dice.
1: Well, and let's not overlook McLaren that we're on a bit of a oh, hair. Oh, here as we well. go.
2: Okay, yeah. Well, really, yeah. Uh, really, Stella came out and said <laughs> when they showed the not the launch, but when they showed the, the real car, and he said something to the effect of, "Yeah, we've we've done most of what we wanted to do. I mean, we've definitely done some." of what we were were going for, uh, and we can then do the rest of it during the season, which I basically read as we haven't finished it yet. I heard the dog ate it, their upgrades. They, they the would have it. had it ready, but the dog ate it. So, I mean, Stella is a master of reducing everyone's expectation, but it does sound straight away like they've said, you know, basically we weren't able to implement everything we were going for. We know where we want to go, and that will have to develop over the course of the season. But I know Matt thinks that they're championship contenders. So I don't want to rain on your parade too much, Matt. I want to I slowly watch your disappointment unfold.
1: I, I am looking forward to seeing the cars on tracks and having the questions answered. But I think of all of the teams, they are the ones who didn't say, uh, we've come to the end of feasibility with this package. They, when they came to Silverstone and Austria, They brought the upgrade that gave them real competitiveness at certain tracks with Red Bull and their development trajectory throughout the rest of that season confirmed this direction. And they saw enough in, Mm. in their design phase, they've opted to continue with it. They feel there's lots of gains to be made. So that suggests that even if they didn't fully meet all of their development um, goals, that they, in fact, have continued to optimize this platform and should have a pretty competitive car from the off. And and that's going to be different to the Ferrari and to the Mercedes, which are very theoretically that way, but have yet to really show themselves on track.
4: I, for one, hope Matt is right, because I would love to see McLaren. I would love to see McLaren at the front with Lando Norris leading, leading Oscar and them actually genuinely fighting for race wins rather than just picking up the odd one if if something goes wrong, if they can come out the blocks and be competitive straight away, as a as a as an old heart McLaren fan since I've been in the sport, that will be awesome as far as I'm concerned.
2: So it's really interesting. I definitely I also hope that that Matt is correct. I would love to see McLaren up there. No, no McLaren hate, and actually I know I wouldn't do it anyway because I think the most popular supported team. Among our patrons is McLaren. So even if I did hate McLaren, you wouldn't hear about it. No, but I, I really like McLaren. I actually like Zach Brown as well. I think he's a real character. Uh, I think that he would be my team principal to go for a, a beer and a steak dinner with. Uh, it would be, uh, yeah, Zach Brown. And, no? Uh, uh,
4: is it true that Zach Brown didn't have any money? One wheel of fortune funded his racing career. No. And- and that's and that's where he ended up building his money from and that's where he is it's a story i heard that i have no idea if it's true okay, i've got but, nothing on it but i suck but he's been on wheel of fortune okay but so i've seen a video of him on wheel of fortune okay but what you've done but i want to know if his story is true because if it is that's incredible
2: so you brought a story which you you can't confirm and it's either the I'm most asking. fantastical tale ever or you've just wasted everyone's time <laughs> Did no go- because now everyone
4: who's listening is going to go is that true and no, they'll go and do the googling like for me because you know i don't like googling it's a shame we
2: like don't have ask a ask yeah it. live chat live chat would have helped us we don't have that we don't have that today uh you comp you've completely thrown me uh, i'll have a pee please bob <laughs>
4: i hadn't been thinking i hadn't been thinking about it it literally just popped into my mind I had too much reddit
2: so the, the, the way i see it and look time makes fools of us all so if i'm wrong i'm wrong uh, but the way i see it is that they messed up in 2023 corrected it, and then they were able to do their 2023 effort again, and they kind of got it right the second time. Uh, and then at, they, they were understanding that concept at a time where Mercedes and Ferrari had, had given up and were fully looking at the next concept. Now they're evolving still their 2023 concept, which should put them head of the midfield. It looks really great, but Ferrari and Mercedes have both got a 2024 concept that they're now going to push push on from. And I I would happily bet that Ferrari and Mercedes will take you know, the step back ahead of McLaren.
3: That you you could expect that, but likewise McLaren have a half a season head start over them. And McLaren oh, I don't see that. Um, Explain what, that,
2: Kyle. How do how does McLaren have half a season head start? That is the twenty twenty three car that they were losing last year
3: yes but start on the concept and then they could start bringing developments to help them for next year so they know the plan that they were going to do and that was a concept they can start working on it whereas mercedes have had to have make fundamental changes to their Mm. concept and they're essentially starting again from scratch probably less so an extent with ferrari but McLaren could almost, some of the upgrades they're bringing at the end of last year could almost start to plan and help them for the following year and they know what they're going to do. So they're more of an evolution rather than a revolution rather that whereas Mercedes are probably more of a revolution. So it might not be absolutely amazing straight out of the box, but come mid-season, I expect Mercedes to be on top of them, but I wouldn't be surprised if McLaren come out faster than Mercedes to start.
2: And also you would say is McLaren probably are more sure of where they are. So they know where they're going, then they know that direction. But but let's say then that that means the margin of error is smaller for McLaren. So McLaren could be at 8 out of 10 or they could be at 6 out of 10. But I think Ferrari and Mercedes, they've got a chance of being anywhere between 4 out of 10 and, and 10 out of 10. So can McLaren come out with a 2024 car, be faster than Red Bull, win the championship? No. Is there potential for Mercedes and Ferrari to do that if they do their best with this concept? Yes, there is. And that's the reason I'm more optimistic, because the range of what is actually possible for McLaren isn't as big as the range of what is actually possible for Ferrari and Mercedes. But obviously, I think I think it's more about whether Ferrari or Mercedes drop the ball as to whether McLaren finished P2. Matt, go on, Matt. One luck. go on. Come back. Come back. Come
1: okay. back at me. Come back. If you, if you really want me to, I was going to phrase similarly what you said with oh, regards okay. to upside and downside risk. But, but I'll, I'll take it one step further. Um, There were legitimate races in the second half of last season where McLaren was the second fastest car, inarguably. And I'm that not therefore with that. means if all they've done is keep pace, no, this is frustrating. If all they've done is keep pace, That's there great. will still be races. Where yeah. they are the second fastest car.
2: I honestly, I find that argument so frustrating. That their Good. form uh, last year, while they were still developing, their form over two cars that had packed up for the season isn't any indication of where they will be at the start of this season. I just, I don't they understand. Packed up at Silverstone. I don't understand the or logic. Austria. I think if the,
4: I think the Mercedes McLaren, was.
2: If if the Mercedes
4: and the Ferrari came out looking the same as they did last year you'd have a point, but especially the Mercedes look wildly different this year. So they've either gone, they've either had taken a massive jump forward or then they'll just fall back and McLaren will just sit in that position because they've they've changed what they're doing. All right, Matt, what's, um, what's
2: that sneaky front wing that everyone's talking about with the Mercedes? He said your name. No, we, oh, Alex, right. We were pausing because <laughs> in the audio edit we can instantly get rid of those silences. So Matt was waiting for like a fire truck to go past. And then you've been all like, Oh, I'm Van Jean, Van Jeanie, Jeanie, Jean, Jean, Gene." Right. And now I'm just, I'm leaving all of this in, leaving all of this in Matt. Yeah, you in. should
1: leave it in because, Oh my goodness, that was so perfect. I was a giant You, do, truck you, you did very
2: Melinda.
1: well. Half a yeah.
3: second away from making it work. Yeah. Uh.
1: <laughs> um anyway no so what Mercedes has done here you're supposed to have what four elements and they're supposed to connect on to the nose and supposed to connect out to the end plate and Mercedes has already played some tricks with sort of these detached wing end plates to get outwash they were i think the leaders or one of the leaders in in doing this but what they've shown up with now is essentially the inner half of the top element of the front wing which is the one that sits highest up lost already all right. So no, no the yeah. little flappies, little flappies. Yeah. So the inside part is the a part that attaches to the nose, the outside attaches to the in plates. The inside half of that has essentially been deleted and replaced with a a carbon fiber wire it's being described as. And that is technically legal. However, what it's going to create you made fun of in your introduction and it's going to recreate essentially a Y250 vortex why would that matter in the slightest to anybody one of the strongest tools in the previous regulation set for controlling front tire wake is that very vortex and now teams are either already trying to copy this idea and see how it works or writing angry letters to the fia and the real question is (laughs) has mercedes actually developed this or are they just trying to get it outlawed before the start of the season
3: that's a very good point. I was just about to say that, that all the other teams, this is something incredibly desirable. And the rules under the, the new regulations have absolutely tried to stamp out stipulating that that top element has to meet the nose. And Mercedes have got their string in there. It's basically a carbon fiber string. So I'm going to oh. call it the G-Wing Oof. that they've got on there now. And basically, (sighs) so if they can generate the Y250 Vortex, as Matt said, they can control the tire wake and it's really quite powerful all the way along. So every other team will be scrabbling like mad to try to copy it. Now, you could ask in the launch, why would Mercedes show? Why, Why would they show it? Well, the car ran later on that day anyway. As part of a filming run and I'm pretty sure for Mercedes they will be desperate to get any data to validate if it works or if it correlates back to their factory and then it gives them what's it a few days until testing happens in Bahrain so if it if it is a complete disaster they can then quickly try to change it I think that's more of a trade off than the other teams quickly trying to copy it from scratch which they won't be able to do so if Mercedes have got this right and it is going to be legal and they would have been in cahoots with the FIA the whole all the way yeah. through this and with a governing body to say it's okay. It depends how good the other team's lawyers are trying to get it banned because that will probably be the number one first route they take is to one, try and get it banned. If you can't, you copy
4: it. I think so, Red Bull's uh, lawyers are busy at the moment.
3: So they're going to try and copy it. But this means having this vortex on, that means it must be inherent through the rest of the Mercedes design. So, So to mimic a now rather infamous tweet Could this be an advantage or a disadvantage locked in
2: for years? Don't do that. Don't. Right. If you've missed (laughs) that whole Twitter storm over that locked in advantage thing, consider yourself lucky that that's that's gone. But Matt, the, the fear with these things is you know, it's like, was it the 2014 regulations where they said, okay, you have to operate within this window, but the teams all realized that a much shorter nose was advantageous? So in order to fulfill the length of the nose, they all came out with these appendages on the front of the nose that all looked really dodgy. So this is kind of similar to that, I suppose. So technically you have to have some attachment, but the assumption would be, well, it needs to be a proper element. And Mercedes have gone, no, it can just be this tiny wire.
1: Yeah, well, I would throw it back to sort of the double diffuser in terms of teams being able to take advantage of it. Those teams that can probably by summer break will implement it and use it if it stays legal. But I think the biggest likelihood here is that it will stay legal for this season only. And we've seen that in the past with with certain Mercedes innovations. And that's, again, because they're trying to keep this outwatch from happening because it makes it harder for the following cars. So they're trying to stamp it out. But it'll really be down to uh, how the regulations, can the regulations be worded in such a way that it keeps the teams from implementing this loophole. And we saw with the outwash vortex, the outwash generators, the little uh, connectors on the front wing, when everyone said, why didn't the FIA outlaw them after they first came out? Well, the FIA concluded that it was impossible to word the regulation in such a way as to keep that from happening. So they essentially threw the towel in. That also may be interesting uh, story to follow as this goes whether or not they think they can write a regulation to keep the teams from doing this.
2: All right. That's about as much tech as I can, I can take from a, you know, a car from just the launch picture. Cause there's a lot of that. Kyle, you were ranting earlier, weren't you about people doing little diagrams from launch pictures.
3: I mean, it, there is a place for it. There are, there are a few people who I, who I trust and I will read them, but I do find it funny when you have the, the faux sort of Twitter experts will get a picture and, will 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 draw the squiggly lines on and there are a few of them around and they know what they're talking about and some of them are really good but there are an awful lot who don't and regurgitate the same thing and it 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 gets my back up somewhat <laughs>
2: Do you know, the same for me is the data accounts that keep popping up on social media so like f1 data and if you look at this graph with these qualifying performances you'll see and they're useless all they're doing is they're pattern hunting they're anomaly hunting they have no predictive power and they are they're more like fortune tellers or uh, psychics, Kyle. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, all these psychics, they do their 2024 20, predictions. And then at the end of the year, they'll show you the few that they got right and hope that you don't go back and dig mm. <laughs> through all the ones they got wrong. But, yeah, a lot of these ones, obviously, they're just for, for clicks and attention, um, but posing as, as experts. But if they don't have predictive power, they're fairly useless. So when you see them, say, OK, make a prediction based on the data that you're giving us. Uh, we have an update i want to talk about ferrari's chances next but uh we have a update from alex van jean about his random wheel of fortune story and i believe this is all started by the messes at the red flag podcast
4: yeah so he was on wheel of fortune in 1984 the year i was born um when he was 13 best ever um, year
2: for uh movies as well best ever yeah year it was for a movies. very good was yeah. a very
4: good year for movies um I'm quite surprised he's only 13 years older than me. Like he looks uh, way older than me, and I look older than him. Well, let's not slate him. How old is he? What's 30? What's uh, so? He's he's 53.
2: Okay, so he's 53. That's Matt's age, and he looks better than Matt. I mean, 53 is pretty old. What would you
4: do if you were a multi-multi millionaire?
2: Yeah, if I I was a multi-millionaire, I'd look
4: 23.
2: Yeah. Well, look, Zach Brown is so this story that you've talked about. He talks about he was on Wheel of Fortune, and then the claim is that was 1984. Feels like yesterday, I won myself enough money to buy a go-kart. And now to me, if he's crediting then his wealth to being able to buy the go-kart from Wheel of Fortune, to me, that's rich kid fiction because, oh, they love it. I don't know his background, but to me, that screams of rich kid fortune. That screams of James Blunt, Clay, oh, well, I, I had to sleep on people's couches. No, you were an officer in the Blues and Royals. You are very, very wealthy. Uh, Matt? He won. He won $3,000. Nice on Wheel
4: of fortune. Nice go-kart and, for that. And, 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 b- well, and bought uh, a go-kart. 3050 But
3: did he have to sell his Porsche to, buy, to put a house Sell your down. Porsche, Zach!
4: Zach. Or get a, lo- get a small loan of a million dollars from his dad. I
1: think <laughs> yeah. you're missing the point here. He wanted to be a baseball player, but then he bought the go-kart and that changed the direction of his life. I don't think he's claiming that money was his stake that got him everything he got.
2: And sorry, apologies to any rich kids out there. Your pain and struggle is is real and valued as well. You also worked hard. uh, Well done. So Ferrari, do they actually stand a chance? And so I know, Matt, you were trying your gotcha. Had they given up in by Silverstone? Had they given up by Austria? I think on the concept, yes. So they had given up on, they knew Ferrari and Mercedes because their target is Red Bull, they knew by that early in the season that they weren't going to catch up anymore. So, if you think they did, they had they given up doing some upgrades, learning about that car, using it as a mule. Had the hybrid already started? You know where they had the Franken car. Yes, I think by that point they already knew that success was going to come, if anything, in the form of a 2024 car. So, they are another team that is starting from scratch. Do we have faith broadly? that Ferrari can build a championship winning car at all. So they've released their car. uh, Kyle's wincing. They're a great team. They're the most successful team in F1 history. Are you telling me they can't produce a championship winning car?
3: Do we have faith in Ferrari? I mean,
2: we have to now. Well, 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 the Hamilton fans
4: do. (laughs)
3: Some fan bases might do, but in general, like, it that that's a pretty hard statement to make saying yes i have faith with ferrari with the amount of balls that have been dropped in recent years and yes the concept hopefully they are setting themselves up late later on i think they're completely ditching the tortellini dished outside pods sort of like style and going in a completely different direction so it may work but do we have faith in ferrari i think they have to re-earn that faith that we should have in them after the performances of recent years so i'm going to say uh No, I expect it to be a little bit wobbly to start, but we'd like to think they'd get it together by the end of the year.
1: Uh, So fascinatingly, we are now taking the only team besides Red Bull to actually win a race last season and saying we have no faith in them whatsoever. To win a championship, perhaps that's fair. To be competitive, well, it's an interesting thing that they've decided to do here. And it gets to some of the larger, you know, we talked about convergences. While there's some larger convergences that have already shown up in just the pictures we've seen that you don't even have to really scribble on. And, and, and what I want to say here with regards to Ferrari is they and Haas are now the only team to persist with the pull rod rear suspension. I don't understand
2: any of that. All I hear is pull rod, push rod. Aren't they both fine? Isn't it equally fine to have either of those? It's just which one works with your aero?
1: Well, congratulations. You've answered your oh, own question. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. There are advantages and disadvantages to each, but fundamentally, it's which works with your arrow. But they are the only teams left on the grid now using the um, using the uh pull rod rather than the push rod here. But what's interesting about what they've done is starting in the middle of last season, they'd had a major issue with their tires. Specifically, we could see it. They had really great one lap pace but they just eat their tires and, and lose out during the race. And they kind of almost entirely solved it with just sort of development and optimization, which is a very unFerrari like characteristic, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. They generally don't do the development so well. And they've taken that knowledge and applied it to the car they're bringing, which uh, has ditched the side pods, has gone to the sort of standard downwash. But the thing that they said that was interesting because about half the grid has said this, is that they're very focused on making the rear of the car, the rear axle, more compliant and more drivable. And Mercedes has said this. Alpine has said this. Williams has said this. And I I just wanted to bring this up with Kyle, which is, we've been sitting here saying Red Bull have the best aero. But maybe they just have the car that the drivers can be most confident with. Because don't you lose an awful lot of time if you're not sure what the rear end of the car is going to do? Oh, absolutely. That's
3: the, that's the absolute worst. And with Red Bull, at least one of their drivers can cope with it all the time. But yeah, that's the absolute worst. And yeah, same thing in Williams. That's why Logan Sarge and my found it quite difficult it's the most horrible thing going into a corner not knowing what the rear end is going to do largely when drivers are pushing particularly in a race situation they're not thinking about every input they're putting in they're not thinking right i'm going to go to that board i'm going to break here down three gears and turn in it's largely instinctive kind of on autopilot but if the car's not underneath you and you have no confidence and you don't know what it's going to do when you're turning in you're then having to think about countermeasures and preempt the car snapping and breaking away from you which is then terrible and you're constantly driving within yourself because you can't fully let go it's a problem hamilton's had well hamilton and george russell had in the mercedes the last couple of years with a snappy rear end from a pure driving point of view if you want to get to the end completely unscathed you'd always want more of a slightly understeery concept if it's a just pure survival you've got to do a hundred thousand laps you'd take a bit more understeer if you've got to do one ultimate flying lap, you'd have a bit more snappy oversteer because you can stick it all on a line and it's really fast for that one lap, but you're going ha- to have a hard time doing that over a Grand Prix distance. So it's always better to have a bit more of a benign and gentle aero platform than it is to have a peaky and snappy platform.
2: I I, I always try and keep up with the tech, guys. So, you know, I always let it go through. I always want the tech side to go out. But if I'm struggling... I look over at Alex and I just felt a lot better because I used to have a training partner, Dave, and he used to say to me, he goes, oh, oh Richie, however much I'm suffering and as much as I hit it, I can always look at you and know that you're suffering more. So I do that with Alex with the with the tech side. So do we have faith in in Ferrari? Uh, they said all those clever things. I'm going on vibes. Fred Vasseur to me, Alex, what do you make of him? Because he's sort of, he's tickled me with a quiet confidence and then when you look at the way he's got about things in the background and he's nicked Lewis Hamilton and he's trying to just, you know, rob all the best bits of all the other teams, you go, maybe he's ruthless enough to to make a real change at Ferrari. He's
4: a bit of a ringmaster in mm. the sense of he he can stand in the middle and bring everyone towards him, which is what Ferrari have needed. And to be fair, he's giving a bit of a Jean Tot vibe from when John Top was there and brought everyone around <laughs> him and bought that team brought in um, um, brought in all the aerod- the right aerodynamicists and brought in Ross Braun then brought in Michael Schumacher and then all of a sudden we had the era of Ferrari yeah, that the, neither the of the death us liked. star the death However, star. However if our favourite driver can be involved in that they're no longer the they're the Death Star, they're the Millennium Falcon and I'm all for
2: it. Yeah they suddenly become the the good guys if as long as Lewis Hamilton does well. Yeah so if you're new to the show, me and Alex are massive and declared Lewis Hamilton fans and fail to, to hide our bias at every single turn. But Fred Vasseur, like even last season, even before the Lewis Hamilton announcement, I did say like, it just seemed like a team of nicer people that I liked. Sorry, I like Leclerc, I like Sainz. Poor Carlos Sainz. But there wasn't that meanness of of Todd and Ariba Vene. Because Ariba Vene, you think, you know, he is like, he's murdering generals lego movie style isn't he you know come here number one general and then flies him off into a swamp congratulations on your promotion general he is not outwardly doesn't seem outwardly i don't want to use the word
4: evil but it goes within the context <laughs> of what we're <laughs> yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. He, he he doesn't have that outward he he comes across as outwardly friendly however when um i can't remember what race it was where uh they got disqualified and he was Absolutely oh he was fuming furious. it was a code circuit of america's it was yeah and you yeah. and you don't want to be on that side of him but also the thing that people forget is he worked with lewis hamilton in f3 F- whatever gp3 f3 whatever yeah. it was beforehand GP3. and lewis loved working with him and i think if it was any other team manager in position in ferrari now he wouldn't have gone because he has to have faith in who he's going to go work for. He also spent two weeks in the Mercedes factory, and then instantly had his <laughs> notice in, yeah. which says a
2: lot. Yeah, he listened to Anthony Davison going, yeah, actually, the car does feel like a car. And then Lewis went, no, I'm going to go chat with Fred. Kyle.
3: Yeah, the thing with um, Fred, and it's very much, I think you're very correct in, in drawing the comparisons.
2: That's your mic. It needs to be pointing towards you, Kyle. There you go. You got it. Drawing the comparisons
3: to um, to John Todd, because... Yeah, he seems like more of a people person, and I've said this before on this podcast that Ferrari traditionally have a bit of a, a guillotine style management system. That if something doesn't go right immediately, the guillotine comes out and heads roll. That's the one. Yeah. So I would flung. like to think, yep, I'd like to think Fred is going to put that away, and he's gone to get his star driver now. He's got the backing of John Elkin, you know, like the big sort of the CEO now. He's actually really making a lot of these things happen, and also, you know, the rumors as Alex mentioned before, this he. I think he's trying to emulate and do a proper Jean Todd. If he can get Nui as well over there, he's going to tra- bring all the outside people in, transform the team, and we could be seeing yeah, the Death Star, Dark Era returning, as you said, of a- utter Ferrari do- like mm-hmm. domination. But I think he's done good, and it seems good in that team. He seems more of a people person. So if there's continuity and stability, which is something we have not seen from Ferrari for many years, then that surely is a good thing. So yeah, he could be on the eve of his Todd era, how do we call it? Is John Todd era? Is John era?
2: Is John era. Okay, there's a bit of crossover here to the news I want to talk about. So let's get into some of the news stories by talking about the big dirty news. Big dirty news. So, of course, we did our breaking our, on Hamilton going to, to Ferrari. So there's a little bit of a follow up on that and who knew what and who knew what when. But I'll have a question for, for us, for us, Alex as Hamilton fans, I, I actually I think, you know, this is Fred Veseaux's first car, and so this is the first Fred car. They should call it FV1, right? So how do you feel as a Hamilton fan? Like, do you actually want this car to be good, or do you want it to be developing slowly for a year, peaking exactly in uh, March 2025? How do we feel?
4: So when the news first came out about it, I did genuinely, I even tweeted, I did not know, how to feel I was lost. because, like you, Ferrari have always been the big bad. I've never supported Ferrari, never. But because of people coming in, especially their drivers, because I like both their yeah, drivers, both I like them both before they got into Ferrari. Um, that helps soften them. And then Fred's gone there, and he's he seems like a decent bloke. And I oh well, I know he's a decent um team principal and 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 decent in that managerial position. For then Lewis to go and leave Mercedes. But I feel like I feel like Mercedes have been stripped and I don't... Will they always be a front-running car? Yeah. Are they going to be no, the dominant I don't force? Agree. Are they going to be the dominant force they once were? Maybe not. Could they just disappear and drop off the back and then end up like other manufacturers and disappear? Maybe. But with regards to what we want from Ferrari, I want to see Ferrari come out the blocks with something fighting. But when... so So Lewis has got a decent platform to jump into next year but it's kind of irrelevant because 2026 is coming and it's all change again. Maybe. So we just have to hope for a, well, I say we, Hamilton fans have <laughs> to hope, and Ferrari fans have to hope for a Mercedes 2014 revival. Uh, and that's uh, yeah. kind of the way forward. But I don't want it to be a domination again. I don't, no. However much how much fun it is just watching your best driver rack up the points and rack up the wins, I do want it to be close. We did so that. if we just have a battle between Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, um, and Red Bull. I'll be over the moon with that because it'll be a bit like 2012. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow. Did we
0: just write an ad? Yes.
2: And, and regardless who wins, and definitely, like, you know, Verstappen comes out of that uh, as champion in a 2012 style. You know that will be enjoyable, you know, to watch. And I'm not, I'm not a Leclerc or Signs fan, but if you think of like the F1 ecosystem on the whole, let's Leclerc romps to victory in the back half of the season with a greatly uh, developed Ferrari, who suddenly are able to develop in season because of Fred, and he goes and wins the title. Like that's perfect for, for Formula One as a company. So if this is WWE, what do you call what do you call the stars? I know the, is the heel the baddie, Alex? The heels are the baddies yeah. and the, and the the baby faces. Are the... Is it the baby faces? Okay, so so Max Verstappen is now he's the heel because he's too dominant. So now you bring in your baby face champ. So Leclerc as an F one champion would be Liberty Media's absolute dream. Winning a title with Ferrari that is that's pure money, isn't it? Like of the of the top drivers, you say well, Leclerc is real money. Is is Carlos Sainz that same? Big-ticket money doesn't seem to be at the moment. See,
4: I think Leclerc is big-ticket money on pace. I don't think he's complete.
2: No, and that's a lot of... Because a lot of what people are saying are Leclerc versus Hamilton, Matt. That's been the big discussion point. And there's been an assumption that Leclerc obviously can't have known that Hamilton was going there when he signed his contract.
1: uh, Except that he's said in public now that he actually did know before he signed that contract. And he has zero problem with it and make of that what you will. If I'm Leclerc, obviously it's a huge challenge, but it's a team I've been a part of longer. Hamilton will have to get up to speed with a different power unit and a different aerodynamic package. Plus, I'm pretty sure I'm going to beat him in qualifying every time. Yeah, so again, it's going to be down to my consistency at the front and my ability to manage tires, which I just throw in there as a general skill that all good Formula One drivers need. And uh, so, yeah, in fact, I'm just going to go one step further. You asked if the season's going to be good. Well, given the seats available next season, and given the drivers out of contract i don't even think we need a close race at the front for this to be an unbelievably firework filled season if nothing else between teammates
4: yeah cuz everyone's just going to want to keep everyone's going to want to have their names in the spotlight of all the big teams for because their contracts are ending and it's even if they don't yeah. move teams it's a good way to get your get your salary bumped up um but uh, as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Leclerc versus Lewis Hamilton is it's Leclerc will want it because, well, I get to go up against a seven-time champ. And he's actually always bought, spoken very positively about Lewis. Oh, yeah. They seem to but get also, him. I just think over the course of a season, because of Leclerc's inconsistencies, because of the silly
2: mistakes he made. Friday I, practice. He, how many he crashes exactly. does he have on a Friday?
4: But also, this will be the third team Lewis has joined. Did he have any... Niggling issues joining McLaren, jumping in the seat opposite a three, a two-time world champion. No, he did straight on the pace. Did he have an issue jumping into the Mercedes alongside Nico, who'd been there for four years, four years, three years? Yeah. No, he jumped in, was straight on the pace. I don't worry about Lewis with adapting. He seems to just be able to jump on it straight away. Unless there is something in that car that he just doesn't like and Leclerc does, then we might see it. But I genuinely believe that over the course of the season lewis has the legs on everybody maybe except max maybe
3: um for 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 leclerc in yeah you know, versus lewis i actually think you know put yourself in leclerc's shoes you are uh, a young hotshot you should be in the prime of your career and you are getting the world's most famous and most successful driver coming to your team who is arguably after what you've seen the last 2 years in a bit of a weakened state and you could even say maybe on the turn and the decline which well, he's old. you do I, I think Ferrari's definitely going to reinvigorate him and he'll come back but for Leclerc he could just be seeing opportunity he's like I'm in the prime I've got the most successful driver in history coming next to me this is a brilliant opportunity for me to put him to bed and establish myself as a real real you know bright future star and the legend of the sport so Leclerc's probably welcoming it with open arms if he's got if he's yeah. got you know the self-confidence that he portrays. And I don't think they can have any issues with teammates. Leclerc seems like a, a very, a very nice chap. But and, and, sure, sure. And as, Alex. <laughs> and as Alex said, he always speaks highly of Lewis and he's never really fallen out too too much with his teammates. He's never really sort of trash talked people or anything. He seems to be quite a nice sort of guy. Don't know behind the scenes. He might be very political. He might be a bit of a silent prost. Who knows? But I think he's looking at this as opportunity and he should be yeah. rubbing his hands with glee. And my prediction, I think you'll probably maybe just edge Lewis for the first half of the season. And then when the pressure, the pressure's applied, then Lewis can get a bit closer. But I'm actually expecting the
2: player to be on top of Lewis. Not Monza 2021 style, hopefully. So hopefully you mean more <laughs> in a metaphorical sense. So that's what you get when you don't leave the contract space. So... It's a title fight for him. So you're right. So he's absolutely, he's got his title fight against the aging champ. And if he beats Lewis Hamilton, his stock is absolutely through the roof. Here's my concern with Matt telling me that he said he knew that Hamilton was being signed. It could be a little bit of a sadder situation. It could just be that he was told, look, we've signed Lewis Hamilton. We're paying him £100 million a year. We cannot look stupid on this one. He is going to be the number one driver. We We can't look stupid. Because, you know, if there's a front wing, Lewis is going to get it. But you can sign the contract anyway if you want. Where else does Leclerc go? He might, and if they even give him reassurances, it's only a two-year, it's only a three-year contract, then he's gone. You're a young man. You've got a long way to go. I have real concerns for Leclerc if he knew what conditions did he sign in that contract.
4: Please also remember, they aren't just paying Lewis $100 million. They are also paying $400 million to all of Lewis's causes. Mm. That is the big kicker. So it is a half a billion dollar contract that they have actually signed with Lewis Hamilton look- compared to the
2: uh, in comparison the peanuts yeah. they are giving to Sharp. which is still like thirty million when you say peanuts. But yeah, that's my that is in my comparison cons- to half a billion. Yeah, it is. my yeah my concern is that Ferrari, you're going to look stupid if Hamilton it doesn't beat Leclerc over a season. You're going to look a bit silly. Why did you spend half a billion dollars, you idiot? That's my concern, Matt.
1: Well, I, I don't think they're going to look like idiots, but I think, uh, of the two of them, I think Leclerc is in what we like to call the catbird seat. The, if Hamilton beats you, well, he's a seven time world champion. If it's close, well, then you eh, whatever. A little luck here, a little luck there. But if I'm Leclerc, the learning opportunity is what I really want. And I think that's why Vassour ultimately went after someone of Hamilton's stature to come to Ferrari because he recognizes that same, not quite finished, look that Jeansy was talking about. Like as close as he is, and he's absolutely got the pace and the racecraft. There's still a missing piece, and Lewis Hamilton has mastered that multiple times. So if I'm a clerk, I'm I'm all in. Bring him in. Let me learn everything I can. Then I will beat him like a gong, and go <laughs> on to be my own world champion.
2: Maybe so.
3: That is a very good point. But also on the point that if they don't win with Hamilton, I don't think they'll be looking silly because obviously most of these, and yes, it's a half a billion contract, as Alex said, but their stock goes up. I know that's tied to something else, it's profit, the marketability, all of the opportunities. It's probably, they've done the numbers. They're probably thinking this is going to pay for itself if it's if it's successful or not. It's a huge scoop and, you know, the mm. amount of headlines. And still, if Hamilton... Doesn't win and the Ferrari born and bred star beats him, then that's also a win for them, isn't it? It's good, it's good, it goes, Our homegrown crop has beaten the most successful in history. So I think it's a win-win situation for Ferrari, however way you sort of pitch it.
4: Bringing Lewis Hamilton in on that kind of money is the David Beckham to Real Madrid effect. It was the exact same thing. By the time the by the time the first game was done, the amount of Beckham shirts that had been sold had paid off <laughs> whatever the stupid fee that they paid for David Beckham was. Because of the star is,
1: and to me, this is the thing that I don't get. Mercedes is a car company. marketing is the main reason they do this, and they let the biggest brand in Formula One walk out the door while they dithered, and so I know but maybe yeah. it means something bigger I think coming. it
2: does I think it does, so I've been hearing from from all like not great sources, but you know people who I talk to and they don't just make things up. But from several different sources, I keep hearing Ineos F1 team, Ineos F1 team. And I'm not entirely even sure who Ineos F1 are, but I know they're not Mercedes F1. And that's why I'm getting this feeling that Mercedes as a F1 team might be looking to wind down over the next few years. And I think who they sign next will be very, very telling to their ambition.
4: I've got some questions, just I want to dish to you guys on Charles Leclerc. Uh, so he's had 125 race starts um, and 30 poles and 23 poles. How many races has he won?
2: I don't know. Ineos? Is it the same some... amount as Ineos? Let's stop the Ineos chat. Let's do Alex's random quiz. Kyle, how, Sorry, how many how many races do you think? Should we talk about Zach Brown, Wheel of Fortune? Blimey. <laughs> I get your I get your point, but obviously he's been. I think it's been unfair that Leclerc point because he's obviously been given a car that is fast on a Saturday but can't race on a Sunday. The tires disappear, so he gets thrown that stat a lot, and I don't think that's fair.
3: You could say the same about Mercedes in 2013 when they were wicked and they couldn't look after their tires. Hamilton and Rosberg got a lot of
2: poles. They got loads and of poles. A lot of other wins. There you go.
4: That was over 20 races. This is over 125,
2: and different regulation sets as well. So that's it's
4: just, it's, just, it's just, sorry I, I know I'm going I know I was going backwards yeah no I, no but I, you know I, I had it in my head before we got too far away um and I and I looked on the no, website but you so you, sorry.
2: you tell us when I'm going to do what Paul Duresta's race engineer did to him in the Force India in 2013 when Duresta was too unhappy with the tire decisions you tell me Alex when you want to talk about Ineos and we'll bring you into the pits to change subjects absolutely
4: good let's continue about <laughs> so when he was 12.
2: That- in 1847, right? Okay, so my chain of thought it. No, so I do think that who they sign next, who Mercedes sign next, is going to be super, super telling. So if they say, "Well, we'll do something different," we'll go with Antonelli. Antonelli could be great, but he's also going to be cheap. So that that would be to me an indication of kind of winding down. You've got Russell on a reasonable contract. He's not. You weren't planning on him being your number one superstar just yet, but okay, I guess he's going to be. If they, however, go for an Alonso at the end of his career, it's going to be a big money contract. It's going to be a big name. That says marketing is important and they're moving forward. Now, Alex has got his hand up. Can I just confirm that you're talking about Mercedes and their new drivers and or their commitment to F1 and not Charles Leclerc's childhood pets?
4: So, with no, um, if they bring on Fernando Alonso, it just proves they want to go out with a bang because he will just explode that team. Because I mean, the whole thing of if you noticed when he started at um, Aston, it was all love and everything was all that whole love and that 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 twilight, not twilight, honeymoon period yep. of when he was there. And the second the cut wasn't quite as fast, he stopped talking about anything nice about the team. And I have no doubt that he's gone. Hmm, this isn't what I wanted. Where else can I go? Oh look, Lewis is leaving. He was he was I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll go screw up all their um uh the, the way the
2: way that team works now and, and just mess everybody up. Alonso was a hundred percent out the door. He was retiring for twenty twenty five, and then he's heard this seats come available and it's like and now he's not talking about the end of his career. He's going, well, obviously I'd speak to Aston Martin first. He'd made this big thing of, I'm very loyal to Aston Martin. I would obviously speak to Aston Martin first, not I'm going to stay at Aston Martin. So he has definitely got his greedy hands on that, Kyle. Definitely.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. As soon as he's in there, he was probably calling Toto up and basically saying all the nasty things I've said about you previously. I didn't mean like, uh, I actually really, really like you. Do you fancy a pint? Um, <laughs> All these sorts of things. Um, But no, Mercedes, and to your point, like, what does it say about their driver lineup and what does it say about them? Also, what does it say about their commitment to George? So I think the most logical thing to put in there would be Kimi Antonelli. I mean, putting young rookies into cars has not gone too badly previously. We're thinking McLaren 07, Verstappen into the Fienza team in 2015. And that's a sign Um, that you
2: trust trust George Russell if you do that. That's a sign. um,
3: Yes, yes, because they have invested in George Russell as the future. Now, you could say the last couple of years he's been somewhat underwhelming, but maybe this is time to be thrust into the limelight and they really trust him. If they go for an Alonso with the attached baggage coming in, that's a massive vote of no confidence, I think, on George Russell. And they think they might not be thinking that he is the star that can lead them through. So they're going to go for a stopgap in Alonso with... The toxicity and the baggage that that brings, and potential ruckus internally, um, and then that's really interesting. Also, Ineos are a third owners of the team, so they do own one third of the team along with Mercedes AMG and uh, and Toto. So it could be Ineos Toto Formula One or Ineos Wolf, because it just Mercedes want to sell their third. Boom, that's going to be quite an easy transaction to do.
1: Yeah, and this is this has been rumored for a while. I, I would say. I would disagree that what they choose to do has much to do with their view of George Russell and has a lot more to do with the fact that essentially rookies don't get the testing they need to be able to manage tires over a Grand Prix distance. As good as we all know Antonelli to be, the fact that he had absolutely demolished the opposition in F2 doesn't mean anything, and I point at recent phenom Oscar Piastri, who didn't even score a third of the points as Norris and had loads of extra testing. It's a peculiar skill that takes time to learn. If they're smart and they have the money, Antonelli goes to a Williams or another midfield team to learn his learn for a year or two and then come to Mercedes. So I, I don't see that being a verdict on Russell, but I absolutely do see a Mercedes dithering around with Hamilton's ask given his marketing and brand power as a clear sign that their time as a team, not as an engine provider, but as a team in the sport are very definitely limited corporate horizon.
2: So as much as it sounds like Lewis Hamilton left Mercedes and went off to Ferrari, the more we hear about it, the more it sounds like actually Mercedes basically rejected Lewis Hamilton going forward. They might've been happy to do 23, 24, but apparently he wanted a three-year deal in 2023, so 23, 24, 25. And they said, well, you know, we'll do two, one year and then an option. Well, presumably, uh, Mercedes had that option as well. So it wasn't exactly the biggest sign of faith. And they weren't willing to pay his current market value, and, and which, which could make sense for Mercedes because you think, well, you know, part of that value was was built up while you were with us. All those titles increased your value. You know, what we've invested in that too. Why should we pay what is the market value? Ferrari, obviously, they see that market value externally and go, well, we're willing to pay this. Well, that is now Lewis Hamilton's market value. And, you know, Mercedes weren't willing to pay that. And I think that's a lot of the reason, even in industry and engineering and companies, you often have to leave your company to get a pay rise because the company you're with is reluctant to pay you internally uh, because they go, well, we, you know, we brought you that way as well. So Mercedes rejected Hamilton as much as Hamilton... Left Mercedes, and I would be very curious to see what what their commitment is going forward. Uh, where are we on the Where are we on the news? Because Albon is another interesting one, Matt. I know you're a big Albon fan. He's been they they Peter wins is brilliant, isn't he? Peter wins is yeah. great. Someone has fed him an absolute kipper with the the story that he was uh, going to go to. Or that he had signed a contract with with Red Bull, yeah. and Peter Winter was there going, "Yeah, I've been assured it's true. It feels very clear that that Camp Albon has been out there banging the drum like an Alonso on contract heat, banging that drum to stir interest from Mercedes slash Ineos."
1: Uh, yeah, well, he would be one of many doing that, but I think there was a little more substance to this than just an Albon ploy. I think really what it is is that Red Bull are beginning to look at the post-Perez era and Albon having had extensive experience in the Red Bull and having done as well with the Williams as he's done is naturally back on their radar. And the story, as I've last seen it reported, is that they are looking for an option for him post-25. They want to basically say, if you leave, you come here first. They, they want right of first refusal on album. I, I, album. I don't know if that's been a signed deal or if that's just an announced intention, but clearly these talks are happening as like they it. always happen between drivers. I don't and like
2: it. I don't like this post Perez talk. I don't know. Sorry. You've all given up on him. And if Unlike you if- Alonzo. If you think I'm giving up hope that Perez is going to beat Verstappen just because of three seasons worth of very strong evidence that he probably won't beat Verstappen, then you don't know me at all. And I'm I'm hurt by that. I'm still I'm still hanging on in there. I'm not giving up hope because i never had it. never had
4: it. <laughs> I was
1: just going to say, I don't think Red Bull has seen Alonso's latest comments where he's announced that you can, in fact, race until you were 50 as a Formula One driver if you just have the right diet and trainer.
2: No. Oh, Alonso, he's been going, oh yeah, I went to the doctors. <laughs> and in in a Trumpian statement, he's gone, you know, they've said I'm the fittest ever 42-year-old they've ever seen. And and I think, why not carry on? Shocker. Yeah, he's Was like, it
3: oh, Rosberg's doctor?
2: <laughs> yeah, with his uh, super immune system. 15. Yeah, but he's like, well, why not race until you're 50 if there's a Mercedes seat suddenly available? He's so funny. He's the funniest. To be
4: fair to Alonso, in, 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 the, in the recent interview he had, he does look great. Oh, to be oh, fair, yeah. he's looking he's looking slimmer and sharper than he's ever looked. So to be fair, he does look great, despite the fact I can't stand the pain in the backside that he is. But I really want him to go to Mercedes because if he goes to Mercedes and gets absolutely annihilated by George, I will be the happiest George, ha- George won't Russell happen. fan that there. It ever won't is. happen. I I've, know you. I've, I know you love George. I, I will bang that drum <laughs> so much harder for George Russell I, if I see him really, really shaking that, up Fernando
2: Alonso. That won't happen. I just I know you like your George Russell, but Alonso goes and beats Russell surely all day long. Alonso's not as good as he tells everybody he is. He, he duped every he. Everyone talks about um,
4: um. Everyone talks about Horner as being a gaslighter. There isn't a bigger gaslighter in Formula One than Fernando Alonso. It
2: just so happens that the things Alonso is saying are, are true. I believe him, Carl. I believe
3: him. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him go to Mercedes, and I'd love to see the dynamic and how the inevitable fallout will happen after or how Alonso reacts to George Russell behind him, calling for strategies that oh, are going to only affects. serve him and not for the team and how that's going to go down internally. Um, because, you know, in George's defense, he's trying to really, you know, like put his flag in it and just say, look, I'm beating Lewis Hamilton. I'm doing this. When, if Alonso goes there, the games, I think being played between them two, this is, that would be George Russell's team. I would love to see that play out because I, I'd probably, if you put them in there now, next season, I would probably, yeah, I'd put money on Alonso beating Russell.
4: However, also seeing Albon go to Mercedes um, and see that friendship disintegrate into thin air, because obviously they've been buddies their whole lives, they've raced together their whole lives, but a bit like with Lewis and Nico... I could just see it completely imploding if those two go together, especially because they're both really nice guys. George is obviously a bit more gritty than Alex, and he's Alex is quite calm, but I believe if you could I, I believe if anyone can rattle your cage, it's one of your best mates beating you on a regular basis.
1: I, I like that everyone putting their aura in i think even botas is like well you know we parted yes, on good terms <laughs> yeah remember the good times what what you remember how considerate i was
2: i always i always replaced the toilet roll you know i never left the toilet seat up Imola 2021 to... to... um, don't don't just yeah. don't just shout random races Imola 2020 what happened in Imola 2021
4: big crash between botas and russell oh
2: yeah oh yeah that's a good point yeah that would be a happy he, he called be...
4: him a four-letter word beginning with c and smacked him in the helmet if
2: Magnussen and Hülkenberg can be teammates after they after their thing I'm sure that that, all that kind of stuff will be fine I'm sorry Matt you were interrupted
1: no no I was going to say you know clearly Alonso at Mercedes would be maximum drama and I think we'd all be there for it if you uh I think he's like Alonso was like the Loki of Formula One just chaos every place he goes, and half the time it's good chaos, and half the time it's just horrible chaos. So, uh, even though I'm not a huge, I, it's hard not to like him, especially like as an old person, just still absolutely getting away with all of it. So, I kind of hope the Alonso thing really comes off. But uh, truly, I think someone more in the Alban signs neighborhood is is a much more likely year or two filler for Antonelli
4: the only reason i want fernando Alon- alonso to hang around for as long as possible is he's is the only driver in formula one who is currently older than me it's it's oh, over oh, for Alex. me it's over for me on an age point of view once like it is for you for, two yeah no, uh, well right. and as a Matt, that the guy the guy is, is is older than me and i'm happy with that because then the yeah. next oldest is lewis and he's
2: the yeah, younger raikkonen was my one when Raikkonen retired, that was it. I was like, I'm probably not going to be a Formula One driver. Um, and also then we got a bit more news about how Carlos Sainz saw things. So he knew for for a while that he was out. My, cu- my curiosity here is, is it not so much based on ability but politics? So Carlos Sainz kind of stood up for himself a lot in the car. And does that get a point where you overreach or you lose the garage a little bit I'd, or is it just unlucky that you know they, they had to pick one once they knew Hamilton was coming so I don't know you, th- you see things like stop inventing you know that kind of thing and you go oh did he did he make too many moving noises as well so I, I wonder whether he just wasn't the Ferrari guy as much as Leclerc was in the in the eyes of the team
1: it turns out that the hates the tune smooth operator. And so that's know, it.
2: That's all it was. I think I actually, I think it's broadly just unlucky. You know, you, you, you get your Hamilton and you have to make a decision. No, Kyle. He's not, he's not the
3: driver that's been essentially hand reared by Ferrari. Is he? He's not Ferrari through and through, which Leclerc is. So they've picked their child over the foster child. I think that's what's happened. Oh, mate, that's a really harsh, sad but...
1: way to put it. I
3: know, but it's harsh, but that's
1: the, I think that's the reality of it. Yeah.
4: That's the old so Sophie's choice, go? isn't it? So where does Carlos go? All
1: right. Here's a thesis for you. Carlos Sainz is now, until Antonelli comes of age, the most valuable driver on the grid. Yes or no?
2: Um, well, in, in terms of cash or in terms of value? Because the,
1: in, terms of, in terms of teams wanting him to be the other driver in their
2: team. No, I think it's Alonso. If I had a spare seat now, I still want Fernando Alonso. He's a
4: really strong, reliable pair of hands. He's not going to throw it in the fence every race. um, And he will just bring in points for you. Is he going to be your team leader and bring you wins and champion, and bring you those wins and those championships? Probably not. But is he really, really good, solid, you won't need it's a bit like when you've got um in my world for example you've got a salesman you put them on a patch you can just leave them there they'll get on they'll do their job they'll bring their number in and you won't have to worry about them coach them do anything and they'll just get on with it that he's a reliable set of hands is he someone that's going to go and really grab it for
2: you i don't know so he's like the matt trumpets of of ferrari so if i need to go for a wee i can say oh matt I, there was a new wing element or something on the Salba. Bye, and then I can go and make a brew. Ten minutes later, he's still talking about vortexes.
1: Yeah, well, the point that I would make about signs is, you've got Alonso, is maybe the only driver I can think of who has been at more different teams with more different power units and been that successful, and that's why I think he has value that a lot of people don't see. He's gone in, he's he's gone into every team. He's been kicked to and has been almost as good as the best driver, if not occasionally better. Hello, Lando. And yeah, I know Lando has gotten better since. But you see my point here. If I'm a team that needs a really good driver, I think Signs is your best bet for getting close to 100% of what your platform can offer.
2: It's really interesting who Mercedes end up getting, because I I think they're in danger of having their car not having its potential maximized in 2025. So there is that potential that on race pace on a Sunday, if they don't have that top tier Sunday driver, they're leaving stuff on the table. And so who can you get that you know is going to deliver on a Sunday? I really, you're right, signs will signs will deliver. But honestly, I think Alonso's the pick, but that's you're going to have to pay. You know, obviously Alonso is going to be as desperate to go there as they are. Yeah, yeah, and you are going to pay emotionally. (laughs) You are going to pay the the gilded price of having (laughs) Alonso in there, staring stuff up, Um, and then. But I think Norris has been locked down, and if you look at Sunday Pace, Norris is that is that guy at the moment that all the teams will want, and McLaren have done a a great job holding him, uh, holding on to him, and so that really that sets us up nicely for going into testing and I can't believe we are already at testing and testing is just a brilliant thing to watch. Is it televised this year? Are they te- there's yes. only one test, three day test, isn't it? And it's next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: 21st,
2: 23rd. I love sitting, watching the testing. I love sitting and guessing. I think the, the important thing when you're watching the testing is the reliability of the laps. So if you've got a car that goes out there and does a, a thousand laps a day, you sit there and you go, oh, okay they they've got their platform they've got their stuff together don't look at the lap times don't get sucked into lap time analysis
3: Well it's great isn't it you can sit there and watch them sort of build up on a slow build it'd be shame if somebody decided to force a sprint race in the middle of testing sprint it? testing <laughs> that's <Sprint laughs> a slow build isn't it yeah.
2: testing's not entertaining enough we've got to do sprint testing <laughs> exactly. i love that every single
4: year i go right i'm not going to look at t- don't need to look at time just want to watch the cars listen to the drivers and by the end of by the end of the first five minutes. I, oh look, they're fastest. No, stop, stop it, I, stop it. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's oh look now they're fastest. No, stop it. Yeah, it's, so it, definitely testing's fun. Yeah. I love
2: it. Don't definitely don't come to any conclusions from testing, but then join us in coming to definite conclusions after testing. I think that's part of the fun. As long as you know that it's not real, there are some things you can test, and I think you can see when a team's in trouble and when a team loses testing time. And they have unreliability. You can you can go. Oh, something's not quite clicking at uh, at kick Yeah,
3: in twenty two, remember there was everyone was pretty much outraged when any any of us said we think Mercedes are looking really wobbly. And I sat on the podcast after our post testing review, saying, "Yes, I genuinely believe they're in trouble. It looked yeah. horrific, and it, it wasn't just that drive." And everyone's like, "Get out of here! You're an idiot!" Of course, they're going to be the death star. And they were just being like absolute. Dis- dismissive and we were absolutely bang on correct.
2: Well in twenty twenty three you could see the dynamic between Toto Wolf after he'd seen obviously was had obviously over a winter been going, don't do the zero pods again. Are you you are sure now? And then day one, he was charging in with like the biggest I told you so. No one else from Mercedes was put in front of Mike cameras in front of cameras. It was just Mike Elliott and he was there with beads of sweat going, it'll probably be alright on the next day i think it's i think i think we're gonna i think we're gonna be okay and then obviously he was you know uh you know promoted out the way uh so there's definitely things you can you can tell from from testing
1: i think my favorite thing um, um that i've heard in this run-up to testing is that occasionally launch cars on their filming day have been set out next to heat lamps to finish curing the composites so if you see a bunch of heat lamps in the garage you know that thing has just been delivered. But the biggest reason not to to trust anything you ever see in testing, I think, comes to uh, from McLaren. And they showed up one year, I forget what year it was, and they were like double diffuser faster. Like they were so fast, no one could believe it. Turns out they put a suspension oh, part on upside yeah. down and had an illegal right height. That's why they were so fast. And they turned out to be absolutely mid the rest of the season. So always, always remember, they don't even have to run legal cars in testing.
2: Yeah, that's true. Okay, brilliant. But we will look forward to it. And uh, our regular season content kind of starts now. So we'll definitely have some kind of testing review. We'll always have some kind of program on a Sunday. And we'll get back into the live streams now as well. So if you're new, you can join us on generally 8pm, unless the race is is later. Generally 8pm on a Sunday for a race review. We do it with a live stream on YouTube, uh, but we have a live chat with our patrons So if you want to join us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, link in the show notes below. Join us there in that forum, and that forum becomes our live chat. And also you'll get an ad-free feed as well. So please do consider supporting us. And thank you so much to the patrons who are supporting us currently. We are getting to the end of this show. So this show is over. So we'll play the bumper to show that it's it's over. Uh, Because we have a very strict policy of... 1 hour. We we never want to go over the 1 hour limit on Miss Apex podcast ever. And that's a metric hour, right? It's a modern hour. Yeah. Okay, so we can't go over an hour. So this is like a separate bit where all through the winter I've been getting you guys to meet the panel. And it's not going to be about F1. So today I want you to meet Kyle Power. Welcome to the shed properly. Hey Kyle.
3: Hey. I'm honored to be invited on and talk about
2: you my mediocre life. yeah well it's not mediocre mediocre i think i think in fact kyle i would say that you have lived a life less ordinary i'm not going to grill <laughs> you on all the aspects of it all mm. i would say is that you are on my missed apex top tier list that if we want right, to write pick a city and we're going to spend the weekend and we're going to really hang one on i think like you're there uh, matt's there christian Uncle Steve and you. I think that's I think that's the big squad for the City weekend.
3: Alex, of course, as well.
2: Oh, Alex Obviously, is so yeah. sensible. Alex Alex is a nerdy <laughs> swat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, um, you enjoy your life, Kyle. And you, like me, yeah, you're yeah. good at a lot of bar games.
3: Yeah. Um, oddly, maybe that's an indicator to a misspent youth. But yeah, love me pool. Love me snooker. I've been playing a lot of snooker recently, just for about a year now. Um, I used to play pool competitively in the... In the leagues and we went out and had an awesome an, aw- an awesome pool session and you completely hobbled me by getting me very very drunk and then annihilating me
2: at pool <laughs> uh, now to be fair <laughs> that did happen that's exactly what happened yeah, we did happen. have a few pints over a game of pool and i was able to hold my own uh, once we got away from the snooker kid. table the snooker snooker's not for me i like uh i love all pool and cue games mm. but the english pool with the smaller table and smaller balls that's my speciality
4: why is there such a big difference between snooker and pool? I know it's a bigger table; it but should be the same. the same. It's the it's the same thing. It right? should be
2: totally
3: different. It's wild. The table's four times the size, uh, and the big difference: the angles are different, the balls are different materials. The white ball and the object ball in snooker are the same size, whereas in pool, because it needs to feed the white ball out, the white ball is actually smaller than the other balls. So obviously, that changes the angles mm. that they will come off. And snooker is a lot more of a a long slow game is just as tactical as pool because pool you've tactics do come into it but um snooker you've got a play position they're just completely different it's a bit like um how we say rallying
2: to touring cars or tennis it's to pickleball
3: yes of. yes so, yeah or tennis <laughs> to badminton or something like that. it's very very same different.
2: kind of skill but used in a different way yeah and with uh, with as yeah. you saw with the smaller pool tables um uh, like my positional play is bad uh my strategy is bad but once i get on the little t- i can pot that's the only thing i can really do thing. so i can just pot my way out of trouble on the english pool one
3: and another thing with the balls is because they're, they're they're more polished they're slightly heavier on the snooker table it's more about how you deliver your cues so you've got to cue perfectly and get your timing right whereas in pool you don't have to so much you can be a bit sloppy with your queuing and because the distance is so much shorter you can play with a bit more accidental side spin and still pop the ball. Whereas in snooker, you get a slight trace of accidental side on the ball or English as our American friends would call it, which it's, it's, it's side spin. That's what it's called. It's like, so if you get an accidental bit of side spin on there, you will miss the shot by miles because the error is compounded so much more. And it's, so it's, I think snooker is one of the ultimate elite skill sports up there with golf, like the highest elite skill sports that you can get really i'm not great i'm okay at it i've always been okay it's one of these things i've naturally been able to pick up okay there are things i'm not good at i'm inexplicably awful at frisbee
2: yeah he's he's no good he's no good at pool after five pints either by the way for the record uh but uh, see, the thing that i like about you i think i have a similar trait where we're quite good at a lot of things and not specifically an expert at a lot of things so i call it stag do hero skills so when someone announces a stag do and they go right, like, we're going paintballing, motocross, and some five side. You go, well, we'll generally be good at all those things. So I, yeah. I will, I'd beat at paintball anyone who doesn't go regularly paintballing. Like I'm quite good at paintball, but if I went to a paintball club, I would then be the worst person there. But you're the same. Like you're, you've got a generalist skill in anything competitive.
3: Yeah, sort of a jack of all trades, master of none type type thing. Like I do like. I've often found, and it's not me sort of being arrogant by saying, it just sort of happens. I tend to pick things up very quickly to a decent level and then generally sort of plateau. So this sort of happens with with things like this. other things we can sort of go and get good at, like going karting and stuff. Like that. You realise when you do something that you've got a bit of a natural aptitude for it. But yeah, like I said, there's, there's some things I'm terrible at, like frisbee and swimming, as I found out rather embarrassingly <laughs> the other day when I'm swimming. I went into the slow lane with all of the old that's people. Where, that's my lane. And- And I'm in the middle and I'm inhaling water. It's the first time I've been swimming since I was a kid and I'm inhaling water. I'm struggling and there's these old deers floating, like bobbing past me, like caning me, almost helping me to the side. I felt like an absolute right. Because
2: you were in their element. It's the same with things like park run. If you go to park run, I think, yeah, I could do a 5k, okay. You go to the park run and you see people bolder past you that you wouldn't think... Like, you know, you see someone who's really heavy and they're, but they're good at 5k on they go, uh, you know, a retirement age lady straight past you. And then and you know, one guy didn't look fit at all and was pushing his child in a pram and overtook me and you go, that is humbling. That is, <laughs> but I'm, I'm in their, I'm in their domain. I'm in their club, aren't I? So that's, that's the thing. Uh, so swimming, you were in their club. Uh, it is a, a sign of a wasted youth though, Kyle. And mm. being good at pool, I'll assume you're good at darts, darts. as well. Oh,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was about to say darts. It's always like a terrible accounting that yeah. lets me down with darts, but my my mother was an extremely, extremely good darts player. When she was pregnant with me, she was winning a county championship. I believe she's playing the men's league as well. So when she was pregnant with me, she had this ginormous trophy. And she always told me the story that when she was trying to get the final doubles to win this whole huge tournament, I was kicking really bad. You have <laughs> am <And>, um, <laughs> And but obviously, so yeah, I was um, even before I was born, I was in a social club playing darts somewhere yep. with, with with my mother. So I spent a lot of time sort of um yep. you know, sort of around these sorts of things and it's and it's good, you know. bar sports are bar sports are fun. I wouldn't change it for the world, you know. It's you know, it's really good. I'm by no means the best. I've seen people come in and just instantly natural just pick it up and it's just crazy. I'm never so much of a natural of it, but I'll get to a fairly competent level fairly quickly. And then probably not get
2: much better. Yeah, wasted youth. So I, See, I would, I would, I would bet anything that that Alex is is not good at darts and pool. Just think, I just think he he did the right quiet. things
1: in his. I'm okay at darts.
2: I'm okay at pool.
1: Uh, so in games that you have played, I need to know, especially if you're ever going to come over here, if you've ever been bowling or not.
2: Oh, oh, classic. That's an I bet I'm you a hundred percent Kyle is fine at bowling and would beat most people that aren't in a bowling club.
3: I'm okay at bowling. I'm all right. I've hit a few strikes. I'm not the best, but I'm I'm I'm
1: semi-competent.
2: Yes. I um well, I went I got a 150 the other day with my with my brother-in-laws. 150, get in. Easy win.
1: Yeah, but you're practically American, man. That doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count. <yeah. laughs> okay. The thing that I want to ask Kyle about. Because I know we've had this discussion before, and it's the thing I find by far the most annoying about you, is your karting. Why are you so good at it compared to me? I really, this bugs me a lot. That's mainly
3: experience, but I'm in a weird sort of thing that I started super, super, super late. But by the time we met, we have been karting, I'd done an awful lot of karting and various racing afterwards. So that's kind of why, but I started super, super late with, with, with the karting. I could never... You know, i could never afford it when i was younger i went karting a few times on the summer holidays where the rich kids would go off on the school sponsored school trip and then the council would put on put on stuff for the scummers like me who's left behind and their <laughs> parents can go and dump them at the council and then they'll take you on to activities and there was twice we got taken karting and i absolutely Loved it. It was an awful place called Havercart in Haverhill, which no longer exists. And it was a complete dive, but I absolutely love it. Haverhill no time. longer exists?
2: Oh, phew. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> someone's done something about Haverhill. Um, but yeah, you started finally. late, but you're still better than Vanjean. We've never conclusively got it's to that. <laughs> pretty da- it's pretty damn close. How does the argument go
4: when We've you talk about haste. who's the best out of you two? We don't
3: really approach it.
4: The last I time think. I was actually a competitive weight at Butmore, I beat him.
3: Yes. That is true. I hate Buckmore. That is my Andy track. I hate that track so much. But um, but yeah, I, I just started super late and never realized I didn't cart for like years and years and years and we were at work and I worked with quite a few people who, um, one of them raced super bikes at the time, was like a bike racer and they, they all the lads were going and they were giving it the large, they were like, oh yeah, you'll come along, but we're well quick. You'll never beat us. And I sort of stayed quiet. I was like, okay, I think I like karting and I turned up to Red Lodge and we'd done one of these Grand Prix things and I just destroyed everyone. It was like pole fastest lap, won every race. And then lining up on the grid, the dummy grid for the final, the race director, the guy come over here called Carl Vela. He's an absolutely lovely guy. And this is a very, um, this is a very, very like uh, the office type style no thing. No
2: professionals.
3: Yeah. 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 You should try Formula One, mate. But um, <laughs> no, basically he, he, he come on and out there's the car and he goes, I've got a bet with Ryan who's on like the first post there that if, if you start last, you'll still win. Do you fancy winning me a Snickers bar? And I'm just like, okay, I'll give that a go. Why not? I'll, I'll start last and try to win the final and end up doing it and winning it, which is quite nice. And then he said, come along and try and try karting our championship thing that we've got. And I was like, I don't have a car. I don't have my suit. I What? He was like, no, no, no. You just turn up. It's once a month. It's 45 quid. Just turn up and race in our championship. And this just opened up an entire world to me, which I had no idea existed. You can just pay to go and race. I had no idea I was 27 and this is like just blew my mind sort of open sort of Alex and Brad all racing in their sort of um in the British rental car championship and stuff at the time and I was literally just starting so when you turn up so I turned up to the next race didn't know anybody was terrified like a first like a kid on their first day of school and did all right it was like 30 people I think I finished like seventh or something I didn't have a clue what I was doing but again just sort of come straight in there and then about three weeks later, I'm in the EKL, the Elite Karting League, starting in second place in my first heat, Never a uh, track I'd never seen before, <laughs> Jensen Martin's
2: thing, like thrown straight in the deep end. But something that has massively impressed, impressed me about you guys is, you know, I've seen you, at the appropriate weights, I've seen both of you guys mixing it with very good drivers that have turned up for the Miss Apex events. And before I did the Miss Apex events, I thought I was going to be quite good at karting. I thought I was fine. I'd win the stag do karting or the work do. And then you guys are just at this high level. And when you we've had professional race drivers drop in to Miss Apex events, you know they're not wiping the floor with with you guys. You are at a, a a competitive level. So when you talk about racing, and I talk to these guys about racing, I have seen firsthand that they know how to to turn a wheel. Uh, but you know when it gets down to that level of competition, you know it's a lot down to how much you're honed into th- that vehicle and that series. But you throw. A bunch of really good drivers into the miss apex event they're at, they're also in danger of of losing against guys like you
3: well yeah i mean i mean our yardstick is brad yeah honest, isn't he brad is uh, our pro driver and and yeah i've had well can you say i've had i've had several bits of history with brad on track in
2: real life well you you <laughs> won oh gosh yeah. well, you won one event uh that Brad didn't win. You beat Brad, you did have a bit of a rocket ship of a cart, but you did enough to beat him. And Uh, then
3: it was a rocket ship. I had the new front left tire, which is, which is, which is the thing I did it. uh, Hence,
2: But then at the the next event, Brad took it so personally Mm -hmm. that he absolutely went out of his way to, to practice, crush everyone by not a little bit, like no mercy. He's normally actually fairly, polite at the Miss Apex events, but he just wanted to prove that point that that was was an anomaly. And that was down to one single race director. Uh, But honestly, uh, if you come karting uh, and you meet Kyle, I genuinely think this, you know, Kyle is one of the people on the panel that feels like you feel like a kindred spirit to me, Kyle, we've got an awful lot in common. And you're one of the nicest people on the crew and one of the nicest smelling people in the crew. So if you come (laughs) to a Miss Apex event, what you absolutely must do is give Kyle a hug and then a lingering sniff. And I tell everyone at karting events to do that. And they do. Uh, that, that, that
3: was terrifying when you did this last time because <laughs> I forgot my race overalls. I hadn't, I had done, I've been race. I've been driving race cars all day at Palmer Sport Day. And then went and tested the very next day um, a, a classic TKM. So I was out testing a TKM all day in the heat. My overalls were drenched with sweat i and i told everyone to smell you in the bag and it was about like several months later we come to do this and i took my ovals out there was actual mold on the inside of them and i stank to high heaven this is after you just told everyone to come and smell me so i'm trying to wear these ovals i'm trying to go and borrow deodorant and just drench myself in deodorant i felt super awkward i was trying to keep my distance from
2: everybody because i stank of malt well my my line is is always i know he looks like he would smell but he actually smells great you need to go and check that out smell how i looked
1: (laughs) all right do we have time for one final kyle story before we go
2: obviously not sensing i was wrapping up so go ahead
1: well i i did put it in the chat and ask but here we go kyle you Mm -hmm. told me this story so if you don't want to tell it that's fine. But the story of the MotoGP race and your lucky undies. Oh
3: yeah, well this wasn't this wasn't um, this wasn't a MotoGP. It was a British superbike race, and and I have um and I have yeah, I had I had something called my lucky race day pants, and I can't go fully into the story because it's slightly X-rated. But I ended up in possession of a pair of underwear which was a particularly unique shape from a very particularly unique Frenchman called Edmund Leblanc who I believe is still out there somewhere on his last night in the country so basically I ended up with his underwear and for whatever reason I messed my washing up and I had to go to Snetterton at the last minute to Marshall down on the S's at the end of the Revit straight um this is like the old Setterton, but it's a big old long straight and basically I ran out of underwear so I had to have Edmunds underwear and they were the most uncomfy pair of boxer shorts I had ever worn they were all the wrong shape so whenever you walked or tried to have a couple of steps it was like instant wedgie it was terrible you had to keep stopping and rearranging yourself now i was at the end of the straight there's so if you notice there's a big old long straight the super bikes are doing about 180 190 miles an hour before getting on the brakes for the s's under the bridge and there's a runoff road which goes straight on from the straight as the track goes left so i was on the barrier on this runoff road on bike pickup. So you're either a bike or body pickup when you're a marshal, sort of like that. So I was on bike pickup. um, And basically you're all ready to sort of go and your actions. And basically we had a bike that had blown up, gone all the way down the the, um, service road and it dropped oil everywhere. Now me being young and too enthusiastic and a bit stupid... I was already halfway out over the barrier before the bike had even stopped, not realizing it left oil all down the straight. And there was a X-World Superbike race winner, Gregor- and X-Superbike World Champion, I believe, Gregorio Levere, his name was, on the Ducati, who was coming down about 180 miles an hour, got on the brakes, locked the front wheel, had to let the brakes off, and flew down the service road coming towards me. Now, as I'm jumping out over the barriers, my underwear had wedged so badly that I could barely walk and I had to stop to rearrange my underwear and just as I took half a step forward this bike just blasted past the front of me and brushed past me about sort of 60 mile an hour and if I hadn't stopped and rearranged my wedgie I would most likely be hit full on by that bike and be dead so forever then they were my lucky race day pants and I always wore that pair of underwear and was constantly in a constant state of wedgie for the rest of my marshalling
2: career. That is beautiful and disturbing, <laughs> which sums up Kyle Power quite well. Thank you. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Thank you to my panel. Go and follow them at Alex Van Gene, at Matt PT fifty five, at Kyle Power F one. All those links will be in the show notes below. And follow me, of course. I'm the best one at Spanners Ready, Richard Ready, on Instagram and Facebook. I think the next time we speak to you will be either when there's a sensational breaking news story that we've skipped past for for the past few weeks or it will be to see how the shiny cars look at testing until we see you next work hard, be kind and have fun this was Mist Apex Podcast well that's the end of the show unless Alex wants to talk inexplicably about Charles Leclerc again So when he was 27, where's that fader? Where's the fader? (laughs) I love it. Alex is going to say something great about Ineos. Oh, no, it was the thing from three topics ago. Brilliant. Nice one, Alex.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods,